And for our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to two places. The first is the Gospel according to John, chapter 19. And the second will be Leviticus 16, the first John chapter 19. And we'll read verses 17 through 30. John chapter 19, let's read also verse 16. And then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, The King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. And now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and a disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now turning to Leviticus chapter 16, we'll read the first 22 verses. This chapter deals with the atonement, which was the main sacrifice, the annual sacrifice for the Jews in the wilderness. Leviticus chapter 16. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat, 
Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoats. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull and the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as a sin offering which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bowl and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. This far our scripture reading for this morning. Dear congregation, John the Baptist, when he 
first saw the Lord Jesus coming, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent to be the Lamb of God, to be the Lamb without blemish and to be without spot, and who would give His life as a ransom for many. And so it was even as Pilate went to examine the Lord Jesus that three times he had to say, I find no fault in this man. He's innocent. And yet, because of the cry of the people, the chief priests and scribes that said, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate gave in and condemned him to death. And so we read in verse 16, they led him away. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, the Lord Jesus was brought to the cross. In verse 17 it says, there they crucified him. Verse 18, there they sacrificed him, you could say. And what Satan and the Jewish leaders saw as a victory for them, because they wanted to get rid of the Lord Jesus, Christ, while on the cross, declared this was the victory for him and for all his people that he would save. When he cried out, it is finished. When he accomplished the work that he came to this world to do. And that's the theme we wish to consider this Good Friday morning. It is, it is finished. And we see first this announcement that the Lord Jesus made. Because in verse 30 we read, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And so here we want to see first when, he, when, it mean, when it says he gave up his spirit, he, it says he surrendered his spirit to the Lord. He, he willingly gave, he voluntarily delivered his life and voluntarily laid it down as a sacrifice. Another place in Scripture, this very same word is used is, is in Mark 4 verse 29 of where it says the fruit is brought forth. It's if you consider grain as it's still growing, it, and when it's ripe, it gives up its fruit. But when it's still growing, when it's still green, you can't, you can't thresh it. It's stuck in the, in the head. But when it's fully ripe, it's as, if, it's as if it's giving its fruit away. Even a slight breeze will cause that grain to fall to the ground. And, and so when it's ready, it gives up the fruit. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing here. He's giving up His life as the, as the fruit of His work. He gave up His spirit. And he, he said in John 10, verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And so he would lay down his life at the right time, even though people had tried to take his life a number of times. This was the time that the Lord himself would lay down his life. And though even though it was wicked hands that God used to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, as, as it says in Acts, Christ himself as our great high priest was the one who would sacrifice his own life for sinners. And so in chapter 17, Jesus said, the hour has come. And there he said in verse 4, I have finished the work of which you have done, given me to do, as he's praying to his Father. And now here in verse 30, he says, it is finished. He's declaring now to the world that his work is finished. 
And so it's a single word. It's, it's, it's a one word in Greek. He, he announces that He's completed all the work that He's been sent to do by His Father. He accomplished His Father's purposes. And that's what it says in verse 28 itself, it, uh, as well. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. And then he, and we can consider well, what's, what was accomplished. Well, here it says specifically that all of Scripture would be accomplished so that Scripture might be fulfilled, he says. And then with his last few breaths and actions, he, he finishes fulfilling Scripture. When he said, I thirst, he fulfills Psalm 22, verse 15. And when he drinks of that sour wine, he fulfills Psalm 69, verse 21. And so not a single detail of the prophecies of the Old Testament were left undone. But he fulfilled, he accomplished Scripture as it applied to him here. But what Christ came specifically to do, to accomplish, was to deal with sin, with the problem of sin. You can go all the way back to, to Genesis, where Adam and Eve sinned, and where God says to them, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And as sin entered the world, sin earned a debt that has to be paid. A debt that must be paid either by yourself or someone for us. But all sin must be dealt with. All sin must be paid because the wages of sin is death. And so God's wrath came upon this world against humanity because of sin. And because of His wrath, because of His justice, it, it says He's alienated from us. He was turned, His love and favor turned away from us, and His wrath was on this earth. And by death it means the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, blood is, stands for life. And because blood is the life of the creature. And when you shed blood, you, you, you take their life. And so the penalty of sin requires the shedding of blood. And that's why Israel had to have all these sacrifices, the bloody sacrifices showing every day again that sin has to be paid for with the shedding of blood. And that's what we deserve. We deserve death. And not just temporal death with the shedding of our physical blood, but eternal death. Eternal separation from a holy God. But scriptures also promised that God would send a deliverer, a redeemer, that He'd provide a deliverer to, to save us from our sin, to save us from eternal death. And this is what Christ is saying that now this has all been accomplished. That, that price, that sin debt has been paid for the elect. Christ gave Himself a ransom for many. And that wrath of God that burned against all creatures has been appeased, has been turned away in Christ, as we'll consider shortly. And now, God's wrath has been turned away from all those who believe in Him. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So in Christ, that wrath has been turned away. And that work that Christ accomplished on the cross when He Himself was offered up for sin is illustrated very vividly for us in Leviticus. Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement, and specifically with the two goats that had to be offered. 
And so this Day of Atonement for Israel was the main focus of every year, the main focus of all the sacrifices that they had to ever sacrifice. And so it, it gives us a picture of what the Lord Jesus really accomplished on that cross. It's a picture of two goats. It's a picture of really two different acts, two different actions, but telling one message. And so in verse 7 in Leviticus, the high priest had to present two goats to the Lord. And it said he had to cast lots to choose which one would be for the Lord for a sin offering and which one would be the scapegoat. For that's, that's the announcement the Lord Jesus made. Now we want to look at the accomplishment in two parts pertaining to these two goats. And so the first part is the part of propitiation. Now these may be large words, but it's, it's propitiation we will consider. The first goat in verse 9 of Leviticus says that it had to be offered to the Lord for a sin offering. And in verse 15, as we read, it explains how Aaron had to kill this goat as a sin offering for the people. This would be the payment for sin. This would be the shedding of blood. This goat would be the substitute for the people. That instead of the people having to die for sins, this goat would be slain. This goat's blood would be shed. And so this gives a picture of, of satisfaction. Satisfying the demands of God's holy justice. Because God is offended by sin. And His justice must be satisfied by the payment made for sin. And so then Aaron is instructed to bring the blood from that goat into the veil, behind the veil, into the most holy place. And there, where God's presence was said to dwell, and He had to sprinkle that blood on the ark. That was signifying that payment. And so this blood of this sacrifice is the work of propitiation. That means it's dealing with the wrath of God. That means to propitiate means to pacify or to, to appease God's anger, to turn away God's wrath. And so this goat for the Lord was slain and was presented to the Lord as that sacrifice, as that offering for sin. And when we consider this sin... This was an image for Israel that what, what was happening to the goat was what we all deserve. Because God is not just angry at, in sin in general. It's not just an abstract idea in this world. But God is angry at each one of us and our sins. Our specific sins. Every sin is a transgression against His law. Every sin must be accounted for. Every sin must be paid for. And that's what He's showing here. That's what's being addressed here. Your sin and my sin at the judgment seat of God it must be accounted for. His anger burns against all, every one of our sins. And that wrath of God against my own sins must be satisfied. Because God cannot tolerate this sin. God cannot allow this sin into His presence. And that's what it makes so very clear here with all these ceremonial laws in the priests that they had to be so holy, so separate. 
because sin is that one obstacle that keeps us out of God's presence that must be dealt with before we can enter God's presence. And so this sin offering, this blood of the goat, bearing the sin of the people was sprinkled there before the Lord. And it speaks of appeasing God's just holiness and of His righteous indignation against the sinner. And that wrath must be pacified. That wrath must be turned away. Otherwise, God cannot look upon any person without destroying them immediately. And so that's what Aaron had to do here in Leviticus. He had to take that blood into the back of that tabernacle by himself once a year into that dark room that had to be filled with smoke from the incense because that's where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And on the Ark was that mercy seat. And underneath the mercy seat, children, do you remember what was under that mercy seat? It's the law of God. The law that says that if, we, if any man who breaks the law is guilty or worthy of death, that law has to be perfectly satisfied. And the breaking of that law is sin. And so with that blood, it signifies that all the demands of that law, of that broken law, is satisfied. And this blood for the Israelites pointed them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It pointed them ahead to the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. Because Christ was the perfect Lamb of God, who was the Lamb without blemish, who was without spot. He was the one who would be our mediator because He Himself had no sin. And His own blood is what paid for the sins in full. And on that cross there when He hung, as his, He shed His blood, His blood was presented to the Lord as that perfect sacrifice for sin. 1 John 2 verse 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And then as His blood streamed down from His body on that cross, it was as if it were sprinkled before the Lord as a sin offering. And He hung there as a substitute for sinners. Just like that goat was sent and, and slaughtered for a substitute for the people. Christ was there as a substitute for His people. In John 18, verse 14, Caiaphas even said that it was necessary for one to die on behalf of the people. And that's what Christ here is doing. And God received that sacrifice. God is satisfied with this sacrifice. And with this sacrifice, Christ fully paid for this sin debt. And that means God's justice is then fully satisfied. That means His anger is fully pacified. And that means His favor is fully restored. And that means that sin debt is no longer outstanding in Christ. And when that sin debt is paid, then there's no more reason for God's just wrath. Because that penalty is paid, and then that justice is satisfied. And so just like the goat died, Christ died. But that goat was only a symbol. But Christ was the reality, the actual payment. Aaron as the high priest was only a representative of what Christ would do. But Christ was the perfection. Aaron, you could say, he pointed the way to Israel as all the sacrifices did, showing this is what the Redeemer would do. 
But Christ says He is the way, He is the life, and He is the truth. Because Aaron had to return every year. Every year he would have to repeat this sacrifice. But here Christ says it is finished. This is the once and for all sacrifice. This is the last sacrifice that ever needs to be shed for sin. He accomplished that perfect satisfaction. And what that means now is that God's favor is turned to this world, to us, through Christ. And that means that we can go to God the Father in, in Christ and find mercy instead of wrath. That we draw near to God through Christ. We will not be faced with that wrath, but with that mercy. It means we can be restored into that fellowship with God. Because if we try to come to God in any other way, outside of Christ, we will not find mercy, but we will find that wrath. But we can only come through Christ. The Bible makes clear there's no other way. There's no other Savior. There's no other religion. There's no other God. There's no other way to satisfy God's wrath against our sin than through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the propitiation that he accomplished. And then second, the second part of that is expiation. The second goat in verse 20, he shall bring the live goat. And now Aaron had to lay both his hands on the head of this goat. He had to confess all the sins of the people, all the iniquities, all the transgressions of Israel putting them on the head of the goat. This goat would be the sin bearer. And that's what Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, that the Lord laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. Where the sins of his people were laid upon Christ, he was made to be sin who knew no sin, and it was for those sins laid upon Christ that he suffered the, the wrath of God. And that first goat then deals with the propitiation which, which focuses towards God, dealing with God's anger, dealing with His justice, with His wrath, with His alienation from us. But the second goat now is manward focus, dealing with our sin, dealing with the cleansing of the guilt before God. And so expiation has to do with taking away that guilt through that payment, through that penalty as an offering. And so the second goat is just as necessary as the first goat was. That's why there were two to show a clear picture. And they both had to be part of this day. If there was one goat killed to satisfy God's wrath, then there also had to be this one to show what would now happen to the sins, to the guilt of the people. Because if the penalty had been paid, then that guilt would also be removed. Because God cannot require the payment of the same sin twice. And so Aaron, he would lay his hands on the head of that goat and confess the sins of the people. And in verse 21, verse 22, he would send it away into the wilderness. Verse 22 says, The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to the uninhabited land. It was led away to a place of no return. Literally, this means to a land that is cut off. 
to an uninhabited, solitary place. And this message then was clear, that when God's wrath is satisfied, and then that sin debt has been paid forever, and that guilt of sin is removed, and that goat was taken out, led by a strong man, never to be seen again. And wherever it ended up, we don't know, but it never came back. And this is what the Bible says. When it declares that the blood of the sacrifice of Christ, it cleanses from all sin. Jeremiah 31 says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. In Psalm 103 it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as you remove their transgressions from us. And in Micah 1 verse 19 it says, He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. All three are illustrations of how God removes the sins of His people so far from them they can never reach them again, that those sins will be forever gone, out of sight and out of mind. And how powerful of a visual illustration this was for Israel. You imagine the whole congregation of Israel standing there. As as Aaron gave this goat to the strong man, and they saw them walking away through the wilderness. How far could they see him go? It's further and further and further away. And they could see, well, on that goat is all our sin. There is a guilt of our sin that the Lord is now leading away, taken away forever, never to return. And then it would disappear over the hills or in the distance. Gone. God was saying, Your sins are gone. Gone in this mediator. Jesus said, it is finished. He said it, and the veil of the temple testified to it when it tore from the top to the bottom. When Aaron finished his sacrifice, he would close that veil behind him again, and he would go, come back out, and next year he'd have to go back in. But when, when Christ offered us one sacrifice for all, this, this veil tore open wide. It showed that now the way to God was open. Now the way for sinners to God was open through Jesus Christ. In Matthew 27, Jesus cried with a loud voice and yielded up a spirit, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. He accomplished what Aaron could not. He finished what Aaron could only demonstrate. And now, for you, for everyone in this world, there is a way to God. There is a way to the favor and to the mercy of God. And what this means for for those of you who have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ yet, who have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, that means that there is a way for you to have your sins forgiven and taken away, to be delivered from the wrath of God that abides on you. But it means that it is only in Christ where that wrath has been appeased and taken away. It is only in Christ that your sins can be carried away. 1 Thessalonians says that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That's what He's saving you from. Ephesians 2.3 says that all people are born as children of wrath. That means as we're born into this world, we bear that wrath of God because of our sin. And Colossians 3.6 says the wrath of God will come on all the children of disobedience. 
And so again, John 3.36 says, He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And that is what you need to realize today. If you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God still abides on you here and now, that all unbelievers are under the wrath of God. But Christ has has satisfied the wrath of God that in Him there is mercy even for you. But what does it profit you? What does it avail you if Christ has finished His work of salvation, if Christ has accomplished this and yet you stand outside of it? It has to be applied to our hearts because it will mean nothing for us. If Christ has fully paid for sin, fully removed the guilt of sin, fully opened a way for sinners into that mercy of God, if you never enter that way, and if your own sins are never removed as the goat pictures, and if we are not personally forgiven and reconciled to God, but Christ's work must become your work, must become in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that way is now open. And that is why the gospel calls all to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive from Him freely this forgiveness that He purchased. It's nothing that you can earn, nothing that you can merit, nothing that you can make, nothing that you can find a different way to receive. But Christ said, it is finished. He accomplished it. And He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you also shall be saved. And now He commands all men everywhere to believe, to repent. And so he says, flee to the Lord Jesus Christ even today. Now you can come. Now you can find mercy. Now you can find grace. Because a day will come that if we die in our sins, you will have to stand before the throne of a holy and a righteous God. And the Lamb of God will be there. But it says then you'll see the wrath of the Lamb and not the mercy and then you'll see the wrath of God. And then He'll ask you why you have not believed on Him. Why you have not trusted in Him. Because He accomplished His work for you. But then what a comfort it is for those who have fled for refuge to Christ. All those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because then, just as it was with that scapegoat, The Lord Jesus takes away all your sin and all your guilt and removes it as far from you, out of sight, never to return again. Now, it's not to say that we'll never think about these sins again. It's not to say these, these old sins will never bother us again and that they'll never trouble us, that they'll never tempt us. But God is saying that in Christ, these sins are gone that they're dealt with, that they're paid for, that they're removed, that in the eyes of God, those sins are cast into the depths of the sea, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And that though our conscience might still accuse us, when we come to God through Christ, we can be assured of in His Word that he, he, He assures you that these sins have been removed, that those who trust in Him shall not be ashamed, that assure us Christ has finished that work, that for those who rely on Him, He finishes it in your heart. 
And the reason is because God is just and merciful. The other day I heard someone who said, God only forgives the sins of some people because He's God and He can choose what He wants to do, that He's just sometimes, He can be merciful other times, but He he failed to connect that God's justice is satisfied with the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that God is merciful because His justice is satisfied, because Christ did pay it all. And if Christ paid it all, that means there's nothing left for us to pay and that He is fully satisfied in all those of you who trust in Christ, who turn to God through Christ, and that now through Him He freely bestows on you His love and His mercy and His grace, because that debt has been removed. And this is the thing that we need to understand, that either Christ paid it all, or Christ has paid nothing. That either he's accomplished it all when he said it is finished, or he lied. That either Christ finished his work, or else he is not the full and complete Savior. And if Christ finished his work as he said he did, then there is nothing left to finish in us that we cannot pay for a single one of our own sins. We cannot remove a single one of our own sins in the sight of God or the guilt of it. But it's Christ who has done. And if Christ is our substitute, then we need not carry this guilt, for He has taken it away. Nor will we have to stand trial for our own sins, because He stood there on our behalf. He suffered on the cross. He cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me under that wrath of God, so that you do not need to stand under the wrath of God in that great day? And if Jesus paid it all, that means every one of our sins were paid for. Every sin carried away past, present, and future. Every sin in our thoughts, every sin in our words, every sin in our deeds. Sins that we realize, sins that we don't even realize, sins of omission and sins of commission washed in the perfect blood of Christ. Now what a comfort that is that Christ finished it all. And what a comfort it is that, that we cannot add anything because we cannot add anything. And the harder we try, when the Lord convicts us of our sin, and the harder we try to overcome that sin, we realize that it is nothing in our own strength, but it all must rely on Him. We can bring nothing to God except more sin, more unworthiness, more weakness, and more dependence. It's not a prayer that can save us. It's not a good deed that can further accomplish our salvation. But if Christ has accomplished it, then he has accomplished it all. And it doesn't mean that he says, now I've done my part and you have to do your part, because no, then we would still be lost. Because then we'd still have to say, well, that our hearts are never willing and never able until he, by his Holy Spirit, also gives that. And it is by that grace that he makes us willing in a day of his power. He makes us both willing and able to do of his good pleasure. So on this day, we can look to this sacrifice on the cross to know that Christ has done it all. And that is the security of His people, that it is His salvation that you rest on. And if you listen to the the dying words of so many of God's dear people, that in the end, they ask Him, what is it? And they can only say, the blood of Christ. 
There's nothing of their labors, nothing of their work, nothing of their faith, nothing of their prayers, but they hang on to the blood of Christ alone, His sacrifice. And it is Christ who brings us to our hearts. The work that He has accomplished is the work that He applies by grace, through faith, by the power of His Holy Spirit. And that also is part of Christ's finished work. If He has not done it all, then no one would be saved. But by pouring out of His Holy Spirit as He did on Pentecost, He causes men to cry out, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And so the Lord carries that sin away forever. And it is with that, knowing we can be confident with Paul in Philippians 1, being confident that it is very thing, that He who has begun that good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is the security. This is the comfort. This is the strength of God's people, that no matter what you face in this world, our only hope is in these words of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, it is finished, who gave His life to pay for the sins of His people, and to pour out His Holy Spirit to renew them into His image. Amen.